This podcast series has been brought to you by Tesco in partnership with the Camogie Association. Tesco, every little helps. The Coaching Bubble, in collaboration with Tesco Ireland, are introducing our Player Welfare podcast series, which aims to provide guidance, advice, and practical tips for those involved with youth players. We have a fantastic lineup of guests, and we hope the discussions will inform coaches, parents, guardians, and empowering players to take care of their own health and well being. You can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud, and you can keep up to date with all things Coaching Bubble podcast on social media at Bubble Coaching. For our first episode on retaining young women in sport, I'm delighted to say we are joined by two guests, Lynn Cantwell, Women's High Performance Manager with South Africa Rugby, and Nora Stapleton, Women in Sport Lead with Sport Ireland. Lynn and Nora discuss the importance of organised sport and barriers to lifelong participation. They talk about the challenges of balancing fun and competition, and also the role parents and coaches play in creating an environment to help retain women in sport. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Tesco Youth Player Welfare Podcast Series. Uh, Lynn and Nora, thanks a million for coming on. Um, we'll get straight into it. So we're going to talk about a variety of different topics on young females in sport. But I suppose, could we maybe just give a quick overview of the importance of sport um, for young females, for general health, for overall development and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I can jump in there. Like, I think... You know, obviously, it's no secret that being involved in sport or physical activity um, is just so important for your mental health, your physical health, um, for your social outlets, etc. But I guess when you actually take part um, in organized sport, then it definitely creates that that nearly sense of accountability or that routine um, for you as well. Um, but certainly you find, you know, as kids go through the early years of sports, um, just the fundamental movement skills and the physical literacy that is being developed and um, taking part in organized sports is just so beneficial, which we all know. And we're quite familiar with kids don't play outside on their own as much as what they used to. Um, and so that's a really important factor. Um, I think it also introduces you to a community you know and it introduces you to new people and to that sporting community as well which you know then you can can help lead to that lifelong participation as well in sport yeah no 100 percent. and and anyone listening will know that's a, a subject close to my heart in terms of getting getting kids moving and getting that that quality of movement in early and how that how all the research has shown that that promotes that physical activity in, in the teenage years. And Lynn, in terms of um, your own experience or what you've seen on the ground, um, that for in, how organized sports contributes to the overall development of, of young girls, have you seen much of that in, in, uh, along the lines of what Nora has said as well? Yeah, definitely. Look, um, I suppose if you ask about my experience, I, I ran as a kid um, and I feel very lucky to for the experience that I had as a as a young girl and as a teenager um and then having kind of tried a few different sports as a comparison and I suppose if I reflect back on that time like what it was I you know I ran I was in a local club that was run by two or three excellent volunteers so the volunteering piece to coach and I I feel very connected to and I think you know a lot of we all do in in Ireland and, and the importance of really passionate volunteers and what they show us as young kids how how passionate they are about sport um, and they're giving up their time but they love it so much so I just think that um, link is really important we we moved around in our facilities you know we were in 
the local um, GA pitches two, three nights a week, and then we're up in <clears throat> in Santry Stadium one night a week, and then in Alsa, for example. So that variety, <clears throat> reflecting back on what I know now, the variety as a young girl was really, really good. And then there wasn't a big push to um to to find an event. You know, we were definitely encouraged to do your cross countries in the winter time and then be a sprinter and then do your um, multi-events and team events. So I think the variety of that was quite good. Um, and again, from a girl point of view, I think encouraging girls um, into sport, making them welcome to ensure that they can see that they're as equally valued and welcome as the boys in that sport um, and encouraging girls to kind of create relationships and friendships. I think that's something that's come out loud and clear from the research that um, Sport Ireland have done on, on teenage girls is, is the connection for girls in particular as teenagers to be around friends, to make friends, to have close links with coaches, with um, the girls and the boys that they're playing with. All of those things are really good, I suppose, success factors when we're talking about creating good environments that, that girls and boys are going to have a good experience and I suppose like our take on it would be if you if you enjoy something, you're going to stay at it. If you stay at it, you're going to get good at it. And if you get good at it, then you've got choices. You know, you can you can be in the sport to compete and perform or you can be in the sport and just be a lifelong member. And, you know, we all know that's important. You might just be that really good, solid person in the club forever. You can be a coach, a volunteer, an administrator, go into the media, all of those things. That's the, the type of environment I think that we're trying to create and and there's lots of great examples where sports just nail it. Yeah, and and you refer to the to the person who works hard but ends up being the junior player. You're basically describing my career there, uh, Lynn, <laughs> in terms of uh, my own club. Um, I, I like some of the stuff you touched on. We're going to come back to, um, but I suppose just before we do, Nora, I might come to you. Like, what's the state of play right now in terms of youth uh, female participation? How have we gotten better? Have we dropped off a bit? Are we still the same? Or where are we at over the last maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. 10 years? Oh, Stephen, you might know over the last 10 years a little bit better than me. Like the last bits of research that came out would have been the the children's study. And then Lynn mentioned on um, a piece of research that we did recently, which is that adolescent girls get active. Um, but when you look at the children's study, so that was from 2018, I think. And in that, you can see that 13% of girls uh, reach the daily recommended guidelines of physical activity um, but more importantly that's versus 23% of boys in so this is primary school and then when they move to secondary school for the girls that 13% drops to 7% um, which is you know a huge huge drop and for the boys it goes from 23 to 14% so um, obviously just boys still remained more active than girls and particularly when we get to that teenage age group um, when you look at community sport, then, you know, the research that we did, we tried to hone in on the inactive girls and what were their reasons for dropping out. Um, a really important factor was a lot of them said they just didn't feel sporty and they didn't feel good enough to participate. Um, and so when you looked a little bit closer, you know, their attitudes towards sport seem to have um, been influenced by maybe negative experiences that they they experienced when they were younger. So whether that was they felt excluded from the group if they were in a team sport or they didn't feel good enough um, or the environment wasn't, uh, it didn't facilitate their kind of growth and development and, or there wasn't that sense of enjoyment or sense of achievement. 
Um, so these are all really important points that we're looking at. Um, like I think in general, there's slight tiny increases of increases in physical activity, but we still, when, when we talk about only 7% of teenage girls reaching the, the daily, uh, the recommended daily guidelines, you know, we still have a huge, huge way to go. Um, so we've got a few programs at the minute that we've we've set up. We've got four pilot programs occurring around the country in um, four LSPs. And those pilot programs are really to take a different approach to how we offer physical activity and sports to girls. Uh, we're looking at how do we include them in the decision making around sport and the activities that they want to do. How do we make it much more enjoyable? How do we make it that, you know, we're taking the pressure off performance and it's more around that feeling, just not feeling judged by your input into the group, etc. Um, and then, you know, the whole moments of pride. So how do we take it away from winning and make sport much more about those little moments of pride that you feel when you finish a 5K or when you um, suddenly are able to, you know, execute a skill that you've been working on for a while when you've climbed a mountain and come back down the other side. So we're looking at how do we reframe sport, I guess, around those moments of pride and the various other points that I touched on as well. So, and I think that's so important, especially for coaches and especially for people in charge of developing and designing sports programs for girls. Um, you know, traditionally sport has been formed or based around you, you train for your team or for your group, um, as an athlete and then you enter a race or you enter a competition a league or a championship or whatever it might be you know where is the I just want to play and yeah there might be a bit of a match at the end of it but it doesn't matter what place I come in that what I love about it is as we've already said meeting my friends getting fitter uh, feeling like I've worked hard etc etc so um, we, we definitely have a lot of work work to do in this space yeah, and it's just it's, it might be worth pointing out to anyone listening that that you say that that daily activity that we're looking for is is it's an hour of moderate to vigorous okay, physical activity. Okay, so moderate is is a brisk walk. So we're not talking about going out and and running five k's or ten k's or whatever every every day. Um, Lynn, I might come to you there. So um, Nora mentioned an awful lot of um, potential barriers that they found out there with with girls in communities and and, and in sport. What would you say, or, or could you nail down maybe a few of the the, the biggest ones in your mind? And um, yeah, look, I think this is a really good topic, and and I think the context of this conversation and this topic is really important in that we like we do know so little about what we're talking about because a lot of the research that we have on on sports in particular um, and participation are gathered with with male data, so we right really are starting to gather information now and insights specifically about girls, teenagers, younger kids and, and women. Um, and that's making it clearer as to the barriers in, in kind of women's sport. Um, and one of the things that comes out loud and clear is, is this piece around confidence um, kind of personal confidence. And that's, you know, as ad adult women um, and as young girls. And if we kind of unpick that, like what are what are what are people saying? Definitely kind of adult women are saying that, you know, they have a, a lack of confidence in themselves. You know, they're not familiar with a sport, for example. They don't want to be judged, as Nora says, when you go to it. 
Um, you know, if, if we look specifically at, at female bodies, what goes through, what girls go through and as teenagers, what women go through, they grow up, they might have kids and um, what happens to their bodies after that. Um, if you're out of sport for two, three years, for example, if you've had some kids and then you're going back, this is impacting women's confidence to getting back into it. All of these things that you're hearing loud and clear. But if you look at that from a structural level and you relate it back to this kind of value and welcome piece that we spoke about before, what we're kind of seeing is that, you know, sports services um, boys and boys and, and men very well, you know, so that, you know, the, the timing suit them when, when you train, your pitches are there, your your boys' toilets are open, your your jerseys fit you, all that stuff. All of these things are reflections of, you know, you are welcome, you are catered for. And, and lots of those things were just getting there from a woman's sport point of view. So if you're if you're entering into an environment whereby the female toilets aren't open or um you know you're wearing the the kit that's that's been handed down from the blokes for example all of that says oh look you're not massively welcome here and that's going to kind of chip away at your confidence as to whether or not you want to stay involved so I think that's one of the barriers that you see so ultimately from a kind of administration point of view the the work being done is how do you take away those barriers how do you make people feel welcome how do you put how do you have women's women and girls in in posters on social media so you can see yourself there on the walls in the clubhouse you know the toilets are open your gear fits all of that stuff um so they're kind of one of the biggest barriers the kind of time and prioritization is another one that comes out loud and clear from a woman I'm talking about kind of more grown-up as opposed to young girls I think we touched on a couple of the barriers for girls there before around friendship and understanding um of what motivates younger girls and the lack of role models, etc. But this time and prioritization keeps coming up from a, a women's sports point of view, and that's around family-friendly environments. You know, what time is training at? Um, if you want to be a coach or a referee, um, is there virtual learning? All of those things we've learned lots of through COVID, and these are this flexibility of learning is really important for for females. Um, so that dynamic around around family, around um, around scheduling, um, is a piece it's a big piece from a barrier point of view and then I think the obvious one that we've spoken about before is is the motivation and and um role modeling I you know we really don't know what motivates women or we're not really or we're only starting to ask now so the motivations for women women and girls tend to be more connected as we said girls younger girls teenagers to what are their friends doing you know if their friends drop out they all drop out type of things they they really like that connection um, girls what are they motivated they definitely what motivate are motivated by being involved in the decision making process they want a good chat they want to talk to your the coaches and they want to be involved in in what's going on as opposed to um you know the the probably more it's not necessarily older school but the more traditional form of coaching which is more kind of a directive and, and tell so all of these things we're learning more about that they're, they're barriers to what allows girls to get into it and stay in sport and have an enjoyable experience but I think once we have those insights we just try and adjust the structures and adjust our coach education and our referees education etc and um, and hopefully that will encourage an awful lot more girls to stay in sport and want to get into sport. Um, Stephen, just like to as well jump in there with some of the information that's coming out of like, you know, various NGPs have done their research as well. And they've talked to their players around why did they drop out? And and certainly some of the points that come through for the teenage girls are around other commitments. Um, so lack of interest took up too much time. 
it was too expensive, they were treated differently, um, it was no fun or it was too competitive. So those are kind of some of the, the points that would have come through from the girls themselves when they were asked about dropping out. And to explore that a little bit further, I suppose, like that, that kind of whole idea around competition. Like competition is good, but it's not good when it leads to deselecting somebody. And then when you start, as a coach, when you start deselecting someone because you're trying to win the match or you're trying to win the league or you're trying to hit your best relay team out or whatever it is, then that leads to the no fun and the no enjoyment for those girls who are on the back end of that. I think as well, we've talked a little bit about opportunities. So there is definitely a lack of opportunities for girls to try out other sports. So when you look at like what's popular or what are the most played school sports in primary or secondary school, it mainly revolves around uh, basketball, GEA, soccer, and then athletics kind of comes through there as well. So by GEA, it's football and camogie. Um, so where are the opportunities for those that maybe would flourish in more of an individual um, type sport or, a, you know, just a sport that is away from those traditional um, games that we like, look, don't get me wrong, they're fantastic sports as well. And I played every single one of them, but I love sports. You know, there's so many girls that would want to try more water-based sports, for example. So where do they get to do that? Um, the other part of it is cost. So, you know, the cost of membership, if you're in a large family, um, can the family afford to put everybody into the local club? Um, or the different, you know, other sports will cost more money. And I think that's where the likes of the local sports partnerships have really supported um, that barrier and definitely coming in with programs at a reduced cost that explores other opportunities for girls to try out. And um, a big factor, a big barrier would be inactive parents. And um, so I know parents would be listening to this, but parents have a massive role modeling um influence on what their teenage girls would do as well so if they can see you active from from when they were young young children then it becomes normal for them to see somebody running to see somebody come back in from the gym to be at the side of the pitch or the side of the track etc and that all influences them for their more lifelong participation um, a big one for coaches is the negative playing environment, uh, which is a reason why some girls will leave. So again, that's whole not feeling included, where maybe the coach isn't being fair to everyone or doesn't treat treat everybody equally. Um, and then, as I already said, the negative experiences that those girls can feel at a young age that could be feeling embarrassed in a changing room because there was no toilets for them to get changed separately because they were you know, they didn't want to change into their shorts or whatever it is. Like those little mini experiences can have a huge impact as well for girls not wanting to participate. Yeah, and uh, like just something you mentioned there that, and it's come up loads of times before, but any coach who's listening that coaches any underage team, it doesn't matter if you win an under eight or under 10 league or under 13 league. What matters is the development of the whole group of girls that you have and, and, and playing, or boys for that matter. It doesn't really matter, okay? Um, so we've talked about some of the barriers that are there and, and touched on some potential solutions. So, um, Lynn, I might go back to you again. Um, so you talked about stuff like, um, I suppose, from the, an administration point of view, so having facilities available and, and equal opportunity and stuff like that. So that's the top-down approach. For those listening who are maybe involved with a, with a team or, or a group of um, young, young female athletes, what would your 
sort of strongest message to them be to to keep that retention or to encourage that sort of enjoyment and that connection piece that you talked about? Yeah, look, I I think um, coaches, I think it's a a really wonderful relationship and I think it's a really wonderful position to uphold. And and I think that we need to do an awful lot more to support our volunteer coaches because, you know, they're often parents, they're often trying to do their best. I see it myself, my brother, that goes out to coaches at the under eights and like he's just a fanatical um, sports person himself and ends up just like bellowing out to try and say well that's where you need to be you know and I see him and it's all coming from the right place but I think we need to support our coaches um, and our volunteer coaches and our parents um, with skill set you know which obviously the competence from skill sets which is going to give confidence in themselves as to how to plan sessions and to include people and to make sure that everybody is is playing as opposed to being subbed or you know waiting in line for your drill for example and you're playing as opposed to even drills you know it's just play 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 as much as possible but there's a massive skill involved in in how you structure a coaching session but I think my biggest one um, and it seems so simple but I think it it is actually such an important one I actually think that you know Ireland this is like our number one um uh skill set is to be relational you know is to is to talk to the kids and to get to know them, to get to know their parents, to provide a warm environment, um, just to notice, you know, to notice the kids that are um, have their head down because they're not being selected or whatever and just get, pat them on the back and just try and prep them up and so on. Like, I think these are obvious things, but I think definitely providing a warm environment for kids is really important and encouraging environment for kids. Um, and I'm and I'm not talking about competition here when I say that at all. I think we all need to redefine winning. We need to define what success looks like with kids. We, you know, it's definitely not only about winning at all. It's about you know how good you communicated to the player beside you, or how you picked the young girl up when she fell over, when she kind of when she tripped that time, um, shaking people's hands at the end of the game. Just trying to really encourage this kind of warmth um, in sport. But the relational piece, the connection with the girls, I think is a really key piece because I think we've all been in that situation. Like I definitely get tingles in my spine when I think about my experience and, and how I looked at my coaches. Like I remember when I was 14, looking at my dad and looking at my coach and kind of going, I'm not too sure who I love more here. You know, I really don't know your roles where they start and finish. <laughs> um, and, and that is possible. And like that completely inspires you forever. And I think this 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 really really key age group of of kids and the relationship with their coaches and and their coaches feeling supported by the club and by the other parents and the parents on the sideline we we won't talk about that but that's obviously a really really key piece but look I know there's a couple of pieces in there but ultimately I'd bring it down to the the kind of connection relationship and the warmth that the coaches provide with, with the kids in particular with girls but I think this is synonymous with girls and boys yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And and it's it's gas like you often hear the old adage like can you you remember your favorite teacher and everyone can remember their favorite teacher. What did they teach you? No idea, but it's <laughs> how, how they made you feel like. So it's yeah. the same thing here with between a with, between a coach and and a kids playing. Um, so I'm conscious that let's say we would have had um over the last few years in Ireland you would have seen the 20 by 20 campaign that would have been a, a high visible visibility project in terms of um putting I suppose putting the the issue on the agenda. So how uh how is how's things going to move forward now? So Nora maybe like is there you're talking about you there's a couple of pilot programs running with the different local sports partnerships 
how long are they going for? What's the aim? What's the the dream? If we're back here talking in in five years time, what's 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 that looking like? Yep. Um. Yeah. So the twenty by twenty campaign was it was excellent. Um. I guess visibility campaign that gave people involved in sport a really strong voice and a kind of common message and a way of connecting over social media um and things like that which you know and it was we have all remember the videos and the imagery which was really powerful um what we're looking at those pilot programs like they're directly targeting inactive teenage girls or those girls that have already fallen away from sport or have developed a negative experience of it so how do we how do we re-engage them because they don't follow you know what we would maybe perceive the role models they're not following the Irish athletes on Instagram um, they're not influenced by them so we can't rely on making sport really visible for example um, on TV because it's not necessarily going to reach them so we have to reach the inactive girls through different methods and, and that's something that we're certainly exploring and, and trying to um, trying to get positive results from that so we'll pilot these programs and then we'll the whole idea is to scale them up so that this these types of programs are offered across the whole country and um, it'll start in the local sports partnerships but what we've learned from the research is there are key principles that sports providers can include in their programs and so the national governing bodies can include those key principles in the programs that they offer as well and mm -hmm. um, so that's certainly an important factor from a teenage girls point of view but like our work doesn't just stop in teenage girls you know we're looking at coaching for example with a huge resource coming out shortly and um, all around recruiting more female coaches developing them retaining them a lot of research would indicate that if girls can see women in coaching positions that that can help retain them in sport as well and um, so we're looking at that going well if we can get more female coaches then the knock-on effect could be uh, more teenage girls playing sports so again that helps the, the activity levels the same with officiating and um, but it also provides a different pathway for girls to take as well and um, at certain stages that they can go down and um, from a visibility point of view we're not just looking at you know the fantastic role models as Irish athletes but how do we ensure that women are more visible in the media in general so how do we ensure that the presenters and the co-commentators and and that women make up uh, an equal proportion of that voice that you hear for live sports, whether it's on TV or radio. And we've got a few programs that are supporting that area as well. And then from, you know, leadership and governance, I think Lynn talked about there how traditionally sports was developed by men for men or for the male gender. So you know the only way we can influence and change that to ensure that it's an inclusive environment for everyone is to ensure that more females are involved in the decision making around sport and then that can have a positive knock-on effect through the whole pathway for example and um, whether it's competition pathways um, but also just that sense of belonging in sport to ensure that everyone can feel like they belong in no matter what sport they choose to play and um, so I think yeah, like the work that we do, say myself in, in Sport Ireland as Women's Sport Lead and then Lynn as chair and the committee that we have there, it's much bigger than just getting people active. It's it's a whole policy and it stretches across every single area of sport to ensure that every woman has an equal opportunity in sport from participation right through to high performance.
Yeah, I know it's and and I know we've spoken before, Nora, and in terms of the 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 top down approach and the bottom up approach and trying to trying to get every facet and trying to meet that in the middle. Um, so I suppose of one sort of final question, uh, and Lena might come to you if that's okay. So we've spoken an awful lot about increasing the participation and and how to increase that participation, but then when does it get to a stage or maybe there's people listening who they ha- they manage a, a group of girls and it's now at a stage where competition is becoming more serious uh and it's a how do they they're they're, they're trying to weigh up that i suppose comp- competitive element versus the enjoyment and participation element not saying they're mutually exclusive but for those out there maybe that are approaching that or are thinking about that would you have any advice or, or tips uh lane if that's okay yeah look um I cannot. I can be overly romantic with this, and I, and I do definitely favour the enjoyment piece. Um, and I think it's connected with your relationship with the player or with, with the athlete. And, and I think if you, if you've got a good relationship and you've you've put the time in with the athlete, and you you're taking time to just ask them questions and to to talk to them and hear their thoughts, you'll pick up on their motivation and what motivates them, and that will be a very important um, cornerstone for you to build your your program on and will influence the, the program progress of that player and of that athlete. And if it comes to the stage therefore whereby you have to be more competitive and it has to be more serious, at least then you've got a really good strong relationship grounding with the athlete to get a sense of how far you can push and how far you can't. And your athlete hopefully will have built up a good bit of trust in you as well as their own understanding of themselves as an athlete to be able to feed back and be open about whether this is too far, whether this is not, is this balance right or not? How far can I be pushed? Um, so I, I, I always feel like there is always a kind of an either or, seem, there seems to be an either or when we talk about this topic. And, and I feel very strongly that there can be an and. You know, I do feel like you can have high-performing teams that, are exceptionally um, competitive, but equally have a, like an exceptional dynamic um, and enjoyable experience. I, I don't think we see enough examples of that, but I, I really feel very strongly that that is possible. So it's not a straightforward answer, but I don't think winning and, and competition is straightforward. And that's why it, it's not a straightforward answer. But I would strip it right back to the relationship with the player and the coach, the encouraging the, the player to understand themselves as a person as well as they're growing as an athlete too and I think therefore when you get to those threshold points you just have more to play with and to understand how far you can push and how far you have to pull back to make sure that you're you're creating that right balance because remember you know we are talking about lifelong participation and I think we've seen more and more examples now of um through the Olympics we've seen the examples of of a lot of really hard stories where you know, you won at all costs, but then you dropped out of the sport and you never wanted to look back. And I don't think that's an experience anybody wants to have, nor does any country want to associate with. So I think we still have an awful lot of work to do, but kind of that's my, my take on it. Could I, could I add in, Stephen? Yeah, I think, um, like, you have to remember as well, that inclusion and enjoyment that can be set from an early age will mean that more girls will, ret- will stay in the sport. So therefore, as perhaps the age brackets get get higher or the you know there are like you know you go to minor level and somebody might turn into an all Ireland competition and and yeah there is a definitely an element of high competition there but 
you if you have more girls involved then there will be a level for all of them to play at because you might have an opportunity to have more teams and and things like that as well so the the environment that you can set from an early age just has such a long-term um impact as well but certainly like enjoyment or the lack of enjoyment comes in when only the best players are picked when there's favoritism shown by the coach when clicks form um, when you don't feel like you contribute to the team or to the or to the group anymore, or when you don't feel like you're progression progressing, um, or if you're not feeling included, so that's when there's a lack of enjoyment. Like competitiveness is is still healthy, and and girls still like to be competitive, but it's the whole environment that's wrapped around that. So what can the coach do? Like first of all, how do you make sure that they feel like they are part of a group? So what team building activities do you do either um, within your training session or away from your training session? Do you set team challenges or little mini group challenges within your group as well? So again, that's, you know, you in those challenges, you'll get a sense of pride of maybe being good at those challenges, um, which can lessen the fact if you don't happen to play the full game at the weekend. So it's all about including all those other elements and then when it comes to fun I think sometimes as a coach you can think well I don't have time to be playing duck duck goose and these fun games but like that's not what fun is like fun is yes everybody feels like they have an equal chance to contribute to the the team or to the training group or whatever it is that you have team rituals for example and that there's high fives or fist pumps that there's days out, that everybody's active within training, and that you have different celebrations. You know, those can all be fun as well. It's not about little silly games that you might play. It's it's how you capture um, everything else. And then that final thing, that every player or every athlete feels equal um, and under the coach's eye. So it's important for the coaches just to ensure that they have that um, positive relationship and that they're fair to everybody. Yeah, and it's gas. It, just as the two of you are talking there, like I'm just obviously we're in the middle of the Olympics at the moment when we're recording this, and I'm thinking of the the Irish hockey team, and they're out there with a smile on their face in the warm up during the game, and like the competition itself is fun for those, but they're also enjoying the experience, and and what a group of role models that 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 they are, even as we're as we're speaking. Um, I'm conscious of time, and I'm going to wrap it up, but. I'll leave it open to the two of you. If you have any final message for parents or coaches that are involved with uh, young girls, what would your final message be in terms of retention, participation, making it fun, engaging, whatever it may be? And it may be we've covered it already, but what what would be your one take home that you from each of you that that you'd like people to take? Um. Yeah. Look, I I think I think. Our, our biggest encouragement would be to um, join the journey towards understanding women's sports and creating women's sports in the or, or providing women's sport in a platform that is specific to it. You know, so um, avoid copy and pasting what the boys are doing and trying to just do what the boys are doing because there's lots of nuances there that are that are that are different and we don't have the data for that yet but 
what you're picking up as a parent or what you're picking up as a player or what you're picking up as a coach that just doesn't seem right or you know why that doesn't see that doesn't suit that girl or da, 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 da. there you're probably right because and that's what we're trying to pick up at a structural level so I think that's what I would encourage everybody to jump on the journey of progress in, in women's sport and pick up on those things, stay open, feed them back with coaches, like create an environment that of development and learning because it is a developmental curve in women's sport and jump on that as opposed to think we're there um, and let's just try and, and, and squeeze a, a round peg into, into a square hole. Um, yeah, much, much the same. Um like for coaches, it is. It's about that relationship with players. It's the environment that you set, um, and to take the pressure off performance all the time and the pre- pressure off winning, um, and look for other ways of celebrating successes. Um, I think that's parent important. And like for parents, realizing the impact that you do have on your younger children or your teenage daughters. You know, again, if you're active, it says it has huge positive impact on your kids. Uh, so be more active yourself. You know, we're, as adults, we aren't active enough either. So, you know, that's a key message there. And I think also your teenage daughter might be involved in a certain sports now um, and she might look to drop out. So how can you be supportive of her decision but how can you maybe introduce her to other options and other opportunities? Because if all she ever did, as I said, were those sports that were the only sports offered in school or, you know, she, she doesn't know the 50 other sports that might exist and that she could love. And that one, you know, being sporty doesn't mean you're the best player on the team sport in your school. Being sporty is you enjoy exercising, you enjoy learning new um skills you enjoy learning new activities and you try out other sports that can be sporty as well so um, I think you know give the girls a voice and a choice in those other options right like they're teenage girls they want their independence so work with them and create those opportunities and those options for them to try something else don't just accept that well if she doesn't want to play basketball that's it then because there's just so many things out there that she could do. And we owe it to our children to actually help them find those other activities. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great way to finish. Um, Nora, Lynn, thank you so much for giving up your time to coming on to the series. Um, hopefully we can help. This will help get the message out and, uh, and increase the profile as much as we can. And uh, thank you very much. This podcast series has been brought to you by Tesco in partnership with the Camogie Association. Tesco. Every little helps.